traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. On the next Twilight Zone podcast, I'm going to be looking at the story back there. And in that story, a man goes back in time and he is faced with an opportunity, an opportunity to save President Abraham Lincoln and stop him being assassinated. Now, fiction is full of stories like this. It's kind of a rich vein to mine, if you like. People can be pivotal to history. Their deaths can be pivotal. As a result, there's a lot of dramatic opportunities with that. Let's say if you could save someone, should you? Sometimes someone's death can set things in motion that bring about change, that sort of thing. And it's something that the Twilight Zone would come back to again in its 2000 series when uh, a woman goes back in time and her mission is to kill Hitler when he was a child. Again, if you could do it, would you do it, should you do it? So there's a lot of uh, dramatic opportunities here. Now, in the case of back there, there's not a huge amount of trivia about this one, so it may be quite a short episode next time round. But one of the main bits of trivia is how often this particular scenario has cropped up in fiction. Long-time listeners of the show will know that I'm a big fan of old-time American radio. I think it's quite a magical thing from a very creative time when people were putting great shows like Dimension X on the air, that sort of thing. It's on American radio that this very concept has been revisited a couple of times at least. On February 7th, 1950, a show called The Mysterious Traveller, which was an anthology radio show, broadcast an episode called The Man Who Tried to Save Lincoln. And again, it's about someone who goes through time and has an opportunity to save Abraham Lincoln. Now on September 26, 1975, the CBS Radio Mystery Theater broadcast an episode called Assassination in Time. And again, it's a story about someone given an opportunity to go back in time and save Abraham Lincoln. So while trivia is a little thin on the ground for back there, I thought instead of just mentioning these two considering that those shows are out there in the public domain, why not put them on a show? Why not put them out there for you to have a listen to? And, you know, they don't directly influence the Twilight Zone episode, but there's an opportunity there to just see what different people do with that concept. So I know old-time radio isn't for everyone. You know, not everyone is into that kind of thing. So I didn't want to put it on the episode itself, which is why... I'm putting it out for you in this form. If you like it, you can give it a listen. If you don't, wait till the next episode where I'll be looking at back there itself. But for now, I will leave you with these two radio shows. So put some time aside and uh, give them a listen. And I'll see you next time for back there. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Mysterious Traveler. Written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan. And starring tonight, two of radio's foremost actors, Leon Janney and Ralph Bell.
in The Man Who Tried to Save Lincoln. This is the mysterious traveler inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip and it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves and be comfortable if you can as we hear the strange story that I call The Man Who Tried to Save Lincoln. February 12th, of course, is Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And next April 14th is the anniversary of his death at the hands of an assassin. Many people have wondered what would have happened if Lincoln had not died that night. My story tonight concerns two such people, and it begins in a small laboratory in a college in Pennsylvania. A heavy-set, middle-aged man is tinkering with a maze of electronic apparatus. 1914? 1913? 1912? 1911? 1910? 1910. The gauge stops there. There's no penetration. The accumulated tension is too great to overcome unless I use more power. And if I do... Ah! Ah, just as I expected, the field coil blew out. Thirty-nine years penetration, and there I stick. Maybe if I get a more powerful tube. Ah. Hello, Professor Hodges speaking. Professor Hodges? This is Miss Erskine. Mrs. Erskine? Oh, Professor Hodges, you've forgotten. I have? Forgotten what, Mrs. Erskine? My tea, Professor. Oh, it was very naughty of you, but I know how absent-minded professors are, so I'll forgive you if you come right over. Oh, oh, yes, your tea. The truth is, Mrs. Erskine, now, I... I'm not going to let you say no. The dean is here, and some very attractive young women, and someone you surely want to meet. I do? Oh, yes, Tom Morrison. You know, he just wrote that wonderful book, If Lincoln Had Lived, You Must Meet Him. Oh, yes. Uh, is he any relation to former Professor Henry Morrison? His son. Now, you will come, won't you, right away? All right, Mrs. Erskine. Maybe I need some social life to take the cobwebs out of my brain. Professor Hodges, I'm so glad you could come, even if I did have to remind you. And I want you to meet Tom Morrison. This is Professor Hodges. How do you do, sir? Glad to meet you, Mr. Morrison. Mr. Morrison has just been telling me about his book, If Lincoln Had Lived. It is fascinating. It is simply fascinating. It is... Oh, oh, but there's Lucy Johnson, and I must see you. Please, you two, just excuse me, because... Oh, Lucy! Lucy, dear, I want to speak to you, dear, and I'm just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Erskine was telling me you're a physicist, Professor Hodges. Electronics. Yes, that's my line. <laughs> I've uh, heard of your book, Mr. Morrison, If Lincoln Had Lived. Tell me, what would have happened? Well, as I was just telling Mrs. Erskine, I think tremendous things would have happened. Such as? I think Abraham Lincoln would have managed things so wisely that at the end of the war between the states, the whole nation would have recovered in ten years. Oh, yes? Go on. 
There would have been no bitterness. And, as a united nation, we'd have forged ahead much more quickly to take our place as a world leader. Yes, I... I can see how that would be. Why, we'd have been so strong in 1914 that we'd have prevented World War I by our very threat to intervene. Then there wouldn't have been any world war. Well, certainly the chances against it would have been much greater. Uh, Mr. Morrison, uh, Tom, I am glad I came here today. I think you're the man I need. Need? In what way? I'm in the middle of a tremendous experiment. I need a man with imagination. That's you. I need a man I can trust. You again. Professor... What is this experiment? Tom, I'll answer one question with another. How would you like to step back through the pages of history to that fatal night of April 13th, 1865, and save Abraham Lincoln's life? These are the instruments I've been working with, Tom. They don't look like much, I guess, but they work. Up to a point, that is. So that's what a time machine looks like. I always wondered, and now I know. Time machine? <laughs> Tom, you've been reading H.G. Wells. You and just about everybody else, I suppose, think of a time machine as an invention which could carry people back and forth through time, like, uh, like an automobile carries them along a road. Right? Well, pretty much, I guess. In that sense, a time machine is impossible, believe me. But in another sense, everyone travels about in time constantly. How do you mean? Tom, what happened on your seventh birthday? My seventh birthday? I... Why, well, I, I, I had a big party. Yeah, I got a pony for a present. <laughs> Rode that pony all over the lawn. You see, Tom? Just now you traveled backwards 25 years in time, mentally. Hmm? Well, say, say, I did, didn't I? I think I see what you're getting at. You can travel through time mentally, if not physically. That's it. And this machine here is just a refinement on that principle. If I used you as a subject, Tom, and focused it at some special date in history when I knew people were present at this spot... Yes? The electronic circuits would take your own brain waves, your memory pattern, your personality, if you want to call it that, amplify it millions of times, and push it back into the past, into the mind of some person at that particular spot, at that particular time. You mean that, that my brain pattern would be impressed uh, upon the, the brain of some man living in the past? Roughly speaking, yes. Hmm. You'd be able to think with his mind, see with his eyes, hear with his ears, and move about in his body. I see. There are difficulties. For instance, suppose your mind finds itself inside the brain of a very strong-willed individual. Yes. You will probably be helpless, unable to influence his actions in any way. You see, you'll be dominated. I see. On the other hand, uh, an easygoing or weak-willed person would be subject to your will. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, then you couldn't always be sure of just what would happen when you made an excursion back into the past. Unfortunately, no. 
But that can't be helped. There are other difficulties. Uh, right now, my main tube isn't big enough. I, I can't achieve penetration further back than 1910. Forty years. I have a bigger tube coming that should extend the range at least to 100 years. But uh, while we wait for it, suppose we do a little experimenting. What kind of experimenting, Professor? Tom, tomorrow, how would you like to go on a little jaunt back to the year 1912? Comfortable, Tom? Feel fine, Professor. I've purposely arranged this chair so that you can see out the window. You see the public library across the street? Yes. It was uh, erected in 1912, wasn't it? The very year you're going to visit. Did you know your mother was one of the first librarians there? Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's family history that she met father when he went in to get a book. He was so bowled over, he forgot the book. <laughs> he also forgot to sign the library card in the back of it. I have the very book right here. The Life of Lincoln. The same book? It looks as if it hadn't been read in 40 years. It hasn't. Here's the card. Here's the line where your father should have signed his name. Perfectly blank. <laughs> Dad certainly must have been smitten. That's just the point. Tom, I know it's possible to send your brain pattern back in time, but is it possible for you to change anything that happened then? To change anything? I hadn't thought of that. If the past has happened, it, it's, it's fixed, isn't it? It can't be changed. I think it can. That's what we're going to test. Tom, I'm going to send you back to that day your father met your mother. I'm going to force your mental pattern into your father's mind. Good Lord. Yes. You'll see with his eyes, think with his mind, move with his body. And Tom, you are going to sign this library card. Sign the card. Right. You're going back to noon, July 10th, 1912. According to the time stamp on this card, the book was delivered at that exact moment. I see. And I'm to sign the library card that... that never was signed. I'm to alter the past. If you can. Maybe you won't be able to. But try, Tom. Try. Concentrate every power of your mind on it. I will. But, but you have the, the, the book and the card here. They're, they're not in the library. Ah, they are. Back in 1912. Oh. Oh, of course. I, I, I was forgetting. Ready? Yes. Sit back. Relax. I'll attach the headpiece. There. Now concentrate your mind on the thought. Noon, July 10th, 1912. Repeat it over and over mentally. I understand. It'll take a few seconds. You may experience a period of dizziness. Be prepared for anything. Noon. July 10th. 1912. Noon. July 10th. 1912. Noon. July 10th. 1912. Noon. July... 10th, 1912. Mr. Morrison, what is it? Are you uh, ill? Uh, I, uh, I, I felt dizzy, dizzy for a moment. Well, well where, where am I? Well, this is the public library, and I have the book you called for, The Life of Lincoln. Uh, Why are you staring at me so oddly, Mr. Morrison? You? I, 
I, I've never, never seen you before, have I? Why, no. <laughs> I'm Miss Andrews, the assistant librarian. I just started work here today. Miss Andrews. Is, uh, is this July 10th, 1912? Well, yes, yes, of course. Oh, well, what time is it? Well, the clock is just striking noon. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Why did I ask that? I, I know perfectly well it is. It's as if, uh, as if there were a voice in my mind. It's odd. Are you sure that you feel all right, Mr. Morrison? Why, of course I do. Just a little giddy. That's the effect of love at first sight. Mr. Morrison! Oh, I mean it, Miss Andrews. Will you have lunch with me? Uh, now, right away, so so we can talk. Why, of course I will. Will. Thank you, Miss Andrews. Get your hat. It, it, it is lunchtime, isn't it? Why, yes. Why, yes, I believe it is, Mr. Morrison. <laughs> but, uh, but the book. Don't you want me to sign it out for you? Oh, bother the book. Lincoln can wait. But uh, there's, uh, there's something. Yes? I, I'm trying to remember something. The, uh, the card. Yes, I, I have to sign the card. Well, not if you don't wish the book. Yes, yes, but I, I do. Something tells me I must. I, I, I don't know why. Uh, give me the card, please. Yes, yes, of course. And uh, a pen. Here you are. Now, I, uh, I'm feeling dizzy again. My name, Tom. No, 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 not Tom. Henry. What's wrong with me? Henry Morrison. There. Now I... I... Mr. Morrison. I, Mr. Morrison, can I get you a glass of water? Tom. Tom, here. Drink this. Oh. Thanks, Professor. Oh, it's better. I, I am over my dizziness. What happened? Tell me. Well, there was uh, an instant of, uh, of dizziness. Then I, I opened my eyes, and uh, Professor, I was standing in the in the public library, talking to a young woman, the woman who was later to become my own mother. Go on, Tom. Yes, it, it was noon, July 10th, 1912. And I, uh... I, I, I seem to be inside the mind of someone else. Someone who, who went on talking and acting as if I didn't exist. Of course. Your mental pattern was being superimposed on his mind. Your father-to-be. Yes. Yes, I, I, I tried to make him realize I was there. I, I exerted all my willpower. Then I... I think he signed the library card. I'm not, I'm not sure. Everything got far away and dark then, and and I I was sitting here with you back in 1950. We'll know in a moment if he did sign the card. If you did change the past, Tom, I'll open the book. If the card was signed, the signature will be there now. It'll have to be there. Look. It's signed. Henry... Morrison. My father's signature. And look, 
He started to sign it Tom, and then he crossed out the Tom and wrote in Henry. That proves your personality was dominant for a moment. We can do it, Tom. We can reach back into the past and save the life of Abraham Lincoln. And change the whole course of world history since 1865. As soon as the bigger tube gets here, we'll try further tests, send you back further. Tom, how would you like to be present to hear Lincoln deliver the Gettysburg Address? Hey, you, take care. Step in my foot, eh? Oh, I... Uh... Uh, sorry, sorry. I, I felt dizzy. I. Well, where am I? Where are you? Yeah. Are you crazy? It's Gettysburg, of course. You ought to know you lived here all your life, Jesse Evans. Quiet. The president's going to speak. The, uh, the president? President Lincoln, of course. Shh. Four score and seven years ago. Our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we do this, but in a larger sense, we cannot Professor, I saw him. I saw Lincoln. And I heard him deliver the Gettysburg Address. And we've done it. We've achieved the penetration into the time we need. And we've proved you can stay there at least half an hour. It was terrific. There was there was a farmer named Jesse Evans, a, a simple fellow. I I was able to control his actions without difficulty. And, and for 30 minutes, I saw Lincoln. Listen to him. Now, now I know I'm right. If Lincoln had lived, we'd all have a better world today. Tom, we'll leave for Washington tomorrow. We'll set up our instruments and equipment in the Ford Theater itself, where John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln at about a quarter past ten on the night of April 13th, 1865. And you will return to that fateful night and prevent the shot from being fired. <laughs> Well, everything seems to be working. I was afraid the trip by truck might have jogged the main tube. How still it is here. How hushed. Listen to the silence, Professor. It's as if not a single sound had been uttered here since the night Lincoln was shot. Well, Tom, considering this place is a museum now, and maybe a million people have visited it... Still, the atmosphere of silence is here. Think of it, sir. Through that doorway, Abraham Lincoln walked. Across those boards. Up those stairs. Walked unknowing to his death. While John Wilkes Booth lurked outside, 
a loaded pistol in his pocket. I know what you mean, Tom. Now let's plot our strategy. We have the place to ourselves until tomorrow morning. Let's try to imagine this theater as it was, April 13th, 1865. Let's figure out just where everyone was, so far as we know. You tell me, Tom, you're the expert in this field. All right, Professor. Now, over there is the box office. There, the entrance. This was the auditorium. And there, of course, was the stage. Up there was the private box in which Lincoln and his party sat. Ah, I wish we could get the gadgets up there, but we can't. Have to work them down here. At about nine o'clock in the evening, the president and Mrs. Lincoln entered with two guests. The play had already started. A ticket taker named Buckingham took their tickets, and an usher led them to their box. I see. Go on, Tom. At about ten minutes past ten, John Wilkes Booth sauntered in. He spoke to Buckingham, the ticket taker. Then he went on upstairs toward Lincoln's box. In his pocket, he carried a brass derringer loaded with one shot. And he struck almost immediately. Yes, sir. The president had an armed guard, John F. Parker. But Parker was criminally negligent. He left his post to watch the play. Left Lincoln unguarded. Booth slipped into the president's box, fired one shot into Lincoln's head, leaped to the stage, and made his getaway. Now, Tom. Yes, sir. Our experiments have proved definitely that your ability to alter the past depends on the type of mind into which the electronic pressure forces your own mental pattern. That's right. If I should hit a strong-willed man, I, I might not be able to control him at all. A neutral or a weak-willed type, I can control and force to act. And you must act. Booth must be killed, you understand that? Of course. If I just stopped him, he... He might strike again later. Another danger is that we might send your mental pattern into the mind of someone who did not know Booth and would be unable to stop him in time. What do you suggest, sir? We have two possibilities. First, the guard Parker. He was weak-willed, and he was armed. Mm. He seems the most logical choice. Unfortunately, we don't know just where he was for part of the evening. He left his post, you know, and wandered around. And the pattern of pressure must be very carefully aimed. Of course. If we missed him... No telling what would happen. My choice is Buckingham, the ticket-taker. Buckingham, eh? A ticket-taker is not ordinarily a man of, uh, well, shall we say, great mental achievements. Uh, you will probably be able to control him. And remember, he knew Boo. And, in fact, spoke to him. That's true. Also, we know almost exactly where he stood the whole evening. There, there by the entrance. All right, Tom. We will plan on sending you back to April 13th, 1865, into the mind of Mr. Buckingham. Now, let's start getting ready. Hey, steady, man, steady. You almost fell in. What's the matter, fellow? Are you drinking again? Oh, well... Am I... Well, this is Ford's Theater, of course. What's wrong with you? Oh, I... I'm all right. Thanks. Just... dizzy for a minute. So I'm there. On the scene. Ford's Theater. The night of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, what's that? What about Lincoln? 
He's here tonight, you know. Yes, yes, I, I know. The lobby. Ford's Theater. April 13th, 1865. We've done it. And I can't fail. I can't. Quiet, quiet. The play's going on, you know. You mustn't disturb the president. No. The president. Yes. The president. He mustn't be disturbed. Oh, no, I... I'll see he's not disturbed. You are uh, acting awful strange. You're talking odd. Well, who... who am I? Tell me, who am I? Is my name Buckingham? Buckingham? <laughs> That's a good one. Tell him, Harry, is his name Buckingham? It can't be. You're Buckingham. You? You're Buckingham? That's right, fella. Say, how much did you have to drink tonight? Nothing. Nothing. We missed. Somehow. We missed. But it won't make any difference. It won't. I'll find him. Uh, look, why don't you go in, find an empty seat, and sit down till you're all right? No, no. I can't sit down. Got to find someone. Who? Lincoln. Yes, President Lincoln. And John Wilkes Booth. Got to find them. Save. Kill. Uh, Harry, help me to hold him up. He's staggering. Dizzy. Got to concentrate on Lincoln. On Booth. Concentrate. There's no liquor on his breath. He's ill. Better get him outside. No. No, I'm all right. It's... It's ten after ten. I have something important to tend to. Life and death. Have you seen Booth? John Wilkes Booth, the actor. Have I seen Booth? Yes. Yes. Ah. Oh. Excuse me, Buckingham. I... I've got to go on in... I have a very important engagement to keep. Yes. Very important. A matter of life and death. Well, if you're sure you feel all right, go right ahead. Thank you. Good night, gentlemen. Well, that was a funny performance. If I hadn't smelled his breath, I'd have sworn he was drunk. Ah, he's a funny one. Never know what he's up to. That talk just now about having an important engagement. Just bluff, you may be bound. Do you suppose he's in his right mind, though? Asking us if we'd seen John Wilkes Booth, the actor, when he's John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> This is the mysterious traveler again. Did Tom and Professor Hodges succeed? No, you have only to open your history books and know they didn't. The past can't be changed. Only the future. And it can be changed for good or evil, now, today, by you, you, and you. 
by all of us, each working in his own way. What future are you working for? Uh, while you think about it, I'll tell you about next week's story, The Big Hand. It's about two criminals who risk their lives in a desperate gamble for a million dollars with death as they're ever... Oh, you have to get off here. I'm sorry. But I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at the same time. You have just heard The Mysterious Traveler with a title role played by Maurice Tarplin. In the cast were Leon Janney, Ralph Bell, Miss Leslie Woods, and Raymond Edward Johnson. Original music composed and played by Al Finelli. This is Bob Emmerich speaking. This is the world's largest network, the Mutual Broadcasting System. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... I'm E.G. Marshall. How many authors, scientists, philosophers, and just plain folk like us have toyed with the idea of time as a fourth dimension? Theory upon theory, from the magnetic fields that open windows, from our everyday world to other worlds of the past or future, to the conception of all periods in time running concurrently like parallel rivers, that last the theorem of Professor Jennings Andrews, who believed one had only to find the bridges to cross at will among the centuries between the past and the present, or from today to tomorrow. Hello, Steve McDonald speaking. Mac, it's Professor Andrews. Could you drop everything you're doing and come over to my house right away? Well, sure, sir, but what's wrong? It isn't... No, no, or... no, no, no. Our girl is fine. It's just that it's time to... Mac, I've got to share my secret with someone, and who else but you? Your secret, sir? Mac, I think I've done it. The discovery of the centuries. In fact, I know I have. You're not talking about the bridge. Yes, but only to you. No one else must know until I can prove it beyond doubt. But I'm convinced. I have built a bridge across time. <laughs> Our mystery drama, Assassination in Time, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars William Redfield and Jennifer Harmon. I'll be back shortly with Act One. <laughs> Professor Jennings Andrews may be a familiar name to you even if you're not interested in the field of metaphysics. For some years now, he has been immersed in a secret project for which unlimited funds have been granted by a top foundation. He has become almost a recluse, except for his daughter Margaret, who runs his house for him, 
and his prized graduate student, Steve McDonald, he has been virtually inaccessible, even in the past weeks, to them. Both of them are worried now as Mac presses the doorbell at his house in answer to the professor's elated phone call. Peg, darling, how are you, sweetie? Worried to death, if you want to know. Ever since you phoned me about Dad's phone call. Well, where is he? In his lab. Come on in. Into the living room for a minute. Well, honey, any other time, but my master's voice Before has called. Before you see, Dad, I must talk to you, Mac. I'm worried. But, Peg, he's... I won't keep you a moment. He doesn't know you're here yet. Well, he must have heard the doorbell. Back there in the lab? Not a chance. He's so tied up in what he's doing, I have to hammer on the door just to get him to come out and eat his meals. What is he working on? <sighs> Sit down for a moment, Mac. And hold me. Oh, I don't generally have to be asked. Hey, your hands are like ice. And you got the shakes. I have this churning gut feeling. Maybe... Maybe he's going around the bend. What, the professor? Oh, come on, forget it. No, Mac. You've been away for a few months. You don't know what's been going on. Okay, okay. Just clue me in. I don't know how to. Maybe I don't know what it is he's after, except in a general way. All right, so maybe the best thing to do is let me see him as fast as I can and find out. I know. Except, darling... The two of you are such dedicated nuts in this area. I'm scared when you get together, you both might flip out. Oh, what area? His old obsession. I don't know any of the scientific terms. Time travel, fourth, fifth, Lord knows how many dimensions. Science fiction dreams. Whatever he's got between his teeth, he's not letting go of this one. And I don't like to see what it's doing to him. All right, all right. Now, look, let me go talk to Pops and find out just what the devil it is he's messing around with. Make me one promise. Don't get involved with any of his experiments without checking me out first. Oh, Peg. Promise me that. I promise. Okay. It's just an anchor. I just hope it'll hold after you and Pops have talked together. I'm just scared. As much as I've ever been in my life. Uh, professor? Hey, Pop! Hey, hey, Professor! Oh, I'm sorry, Mac. I didn't hear you. I was monitoring by ear as well as I. Well, yeah. uh, come in, come in. All right. I'm trying to get him stabilized, you see. I, I don't know where he is. He? Who, who, who's he? Marco Polo. What? Oh, who? Marco Polo. Well, the, the humanoid or robot or whatever you want to call him stretched out on the astronaut's couch inside that isolation room there. I called him Marco Polo because he... Oh, yes, but of course you can't see him now. Well, of course I can't, Professor. There's nothing there. I, although... Of course there's nothing nothing there. I have him back in time now. And, and but, but you can see the shape of his body where the restraining straps were pulled tight to hold him fast. Well, now, wait. I can see they're sort of shaped as though they were bound around something, but, but there's nothing inside. I mean, 
Look, what's the trick? What holds them up like that? Some some kind of magnet? Mac, that whole booth there inside is a magnetic field. There's a lead mesh buried in the glass so fine, so highly concentrated, that no radio or electromagnetic waves can escape. And you mean that's what holds those belts in those contours? No, 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 no. That's Marco Polo's body. You mean he's invisible? Well, uh, something like that. You can't see him, but in one sense he is there. But in another, he... There we are. He, he, he's arrived. Now, to activate him. Uh, wait, wait a minute. A- a- arrived? Where? Uh, that's the only thing I haven't quite solved yet, because his functions are limited, you see. Oh. From what he's been able to bring back, I can only make educated guesses. My best estimate would be this time somewhere in the Middle Ages. But North America, I hope, on the East Coast, if possible... He might be able to bring back some trace of Indian habitation. No, wait a minute, wait. Are you trying to tell me that that mass of knobs and buttons and switches that you're operating are controlling some sort of robot that you've sent time traveling? What? But, but of course I am. But, Professor, that's crazy. Why? That's cartoon science fiction. Oh, Mac, you're the last person I'd expect to find with a closed mind. Son, I tell you, I've scored a major breakthrough so incredible that it's going to rock the scientific world. Hey, Pops, now take it easy. Remember your blood pressure. Oh, now you sound like Margaret. She's been hovering over me these days like a mother hen. Well, I can't blame Peg for worrying about you. She feels that you're just about to... Hey, what? Wait a minute. Oh, what? what's that? that? That's Marco Polo. He must be in trouble. It's a built-in alarm mechanism. Cut off that knife switch on the red panel. Roger. All right, I got it. Okay. Now keep your eyes on that isolation booth. Watch the launching table with the straps that interested you so. Now you're going to find out what holds them in that shape. (laughs) Well, by damn, he's there. Just as you said he'd be. Yep. It's a good thing he's only a humanoid. Or all I'd have brought home through time would have been a dead man. You see what's sticking out of his chest? Yes, an arrow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm getting better. I may have missed by a century or two, but at least I got the place pretty near right. Dad? Mac, are you all right? It's, it's, it's fine, honey. There's nothing to worry about. No, 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 no problems, honey. I, I don't want her in here yet. Yeah, but Pop, she's already... Dad, open this door and let me in. But I can't, honey. Now, be reasonable. I'm in the midst of an experiment. Look, she's got to find out sometime. I don't want her to know until I've talked this through with you. But after this... You mean you... our friend with the arrow in him? Yeah. What, what I had in mind is his... Too risky. Look, Professor, give me a moment with Peg to cool her down, and I'll be right back to talk it out. No, 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 Mark. It's too much to ask of anyone. I should never have no, thought No, look, of it. Pops, I want to go. It's like, well, it's like... It's like being the first man on the moon. Oh, son, but there's too much danger. No, not when a human being is involved. Poor old Marco there has only a built-in reactor to danger after it happens to him. A human could anticipate it and could, well, just get out of it in time. (laughs) 
if you'll excuse the pun. Uh, I don't know, Mark. I'd go myself, but to orient you to the panels and all the controls and just how to balance and counterweigh them, well, that would take months. No, no, the right one to go is me. There's only um, one hitch that I can see. Oh, I'm way ahead of you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you're going to have to actually replace someone who has already existed in history. Yes. And that may control just where you end up. But remember, if it puts you in any danger, or it's too difficult to maintain the deception, just activate the danger signal and I'll have you right out of it. If I am myself, now maybe I'll really be that other person. And all my today identity will be wiped out. Then what happens to whoever it is, or was, well, they might turn up here in the present. Ah, yes, but you see, that was the purpose of the straps. But nobody ever did when you sent old Marco Polo on his travels. Because he wasn't a living creature, just a machine. Oh. Still, might interfere with your return. It is a large hitch, you're right. And I have no right to ask you to take the risk. You don't have to ask me, Pops. I'm ready and straining at the bit. The hitch is your daughter and my girl, Peg. I don't know how I'm going to talk her into letting me try it. I honestly think you're both kooky. Peg, this is a breakthrough in science that's going to make your father a figure in history that dwarfs Newton, Einstein... And you have to be a part of it. If I opposed you on this, if I stopped you, you'd never forgive me. Oh, now, no, no, don't put it that way, hon. I'm putting it the way it is. Our whole future depends on you taking a trip into the past from which you may never return. Oh, there's practically no chance of that. No, Mac, no hedging. Just like it is. Okay, you can have your trip, but on one condition. What? That I go with you. Well, guess we're all ready. The, uh, the strap's too tight. Mine are fine. Same here. Margaret, I, uh, I, uh, are you all right, dear? I have butterflies, and no, I'm not all right. I took one peek in the mirror, and I look like Grandma Moses. Between this Mother Hubbard and my hair pulled back in a bun. Well, we can't look too modern. I mean, look at me with the tousled hair and the half-baked beard and the blue jeans. <laughs> well, I'm aiming for somewhere as soon after the American Revolution as possible. Why pick that period? Well, because it's easier, I think, honey. You could be farmers. Your accents are East Coast and not regional. There should be no language barrier. And you know enough American history to help blend in. And besides, it's our bicentennial year. What a way to celebrate and kick off a new miracle in science, huh? Uh, uh, you, 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 you have the gold nuggets. It's the best I could do for money. We're fine, Pop. What are we waiting for? Well, I... I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't risk you two kids. Look, Dad. That's all buttoned up now. All right, then. Good luck, kids. Thumbs up. All right. I'm at the board now. I'm about to activate the field inside your room. Check me if there's any discomfort. Roger, Pop. 
You all okay? No reaction here. Everything normal. How is it now? Fine, Dad. Fine. For Pete's sake, let's get this show on the road. All right. Here goes. God help me to be in the right and to bring them to no harm. On the road, but to where? Inside the isolation booth, the magnetic field builds, warping time and forcing an opening through it, a window or a door that leads to another world. And suddenly, Mac and Peg are gone. Only this time in their places lie a strange young man and woman, still and as unmoving as death. I'll return shortly with Act Two. Through the lead-shielded glass, the professor peers at the two unmoving strangers bound by the straps to the couches. Reflexively, he takes a quick series of pictures with a special camera built into the booth. Because of the tightly woven mesh, it is hard to distinguish features, but both man and woman are dressed in nightshirts. Or are they shrouds? But other questions crowd the professor's head. Have Mac and his daughter replaced these two? If so, in what century, what year, what place, and alive or dead? Mac. Mac. Hmm? Wake up. Well, was... Why would... Peg? Well, that's just great. You make a dishonest woman of me, and you don't even know who I am. Well, what do you mean? Just in case you haven't noticed, we seem to be in bed together. What... You're right. But where? Where are we? Well, I don't know. And while it's question time, what are you doing with that silly cap on your head? What cap? <laughs> Wait a minute. Good Lord, I look like the old woman who lived in the shoe. And in that long flannel nighty, you look like you're well on the way to adding to that family. <laughs> I'm coming back to bed. <laughs> you shameless hussy. Ooh, freezing. Oh, you don't know how cold it is outside the blanket. Oh. Hold me. There. Is that better? Ooh, I guess. Yes. Well, now let's see. We seem to have replaced two other people in the year of our Lord, whatever it is. Say, look. What? There's a fireplace and some logs. I'm going to light us a fire and get the chill off this place. Ah. Well, how about that? Carpet slippers. There's a robe at the bottom of the bed. Yeah, I see it. Any way to light the fire? Yes, but hold your breath. Why? Old phosphorus matches. Lethal is all hell to breathe and probably stink to high heaven. Anyway, here goes. Ah, they work, though. Ooh, wow. Phew. I'll open the window a little. There. Are we in the country? Nope city of some sort. Is it very early in the morning? No, the sun's up. I wonder where we are. Well, at least we know it's somewhere past the early 19th century. How? 
Well, matches weren't invented. At least the phosphorus match wasn't till like the 1830s. Hey, I think I can tell you where we are. Where? Come over to the window and look for yourself. It's marvelous. It's like, uh, like Philadelphia. Uh, no, know? no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look out over there, almost due south. Oh, why, sure. Even with that scaffolding around it, I can see what it is. It's the dome of the Capitol. Mm. So we're in Washington. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Let me think. The old dome was, uh... Well, the original one was copper over wood. Uh-uh, not this baby. That's cast iron. It must be the same one we have today. Only today isn't today. It's... It's what, Peg? When did they replace the dome? Oh, brother... It's a good thing I've been teaching history in school this year. Let's see. They started it in 1856, uh, I think. Uh-huh. And it took nearly ten years to complete, or nine, I guess. And it's darn near finished, so that would make it about, uh, say, uh, 1864, around there? Well, it wasn't finished till 65. Uh-huh. I don't know exactly when. Oh, Mac, look. That must be the monument. What? The Washington Monument? Oh, oh, no, it's less than a third the size. Well, they it... stopped work on it for about 25 years. Oh. Well, before the Civil War. Look at that, Matt. Union soldiers. Civil War, all right. We're right back in the middle of history in the making. Oh, honey, we can't pass this up. Yes, but, Matt, darling, it's all out of whack now. Don't you see? We aren't us anymore. I mean, we're someone else, and we don't even know who. We haven't even got clothes. Ah, uh -huh. I'll bet we do. Now, let's have a look in that closet. And there's a carpet bag on the chair. And there's a jacket there, too. So there must be a, a wallet or some kind of identification. But what good would that do? I mean, even if they fitted us. How could we pretend to be someone else to people who must know us and would recognize us right away? That... Mr. and Mrs. Downing? Well, at least now we know our names. Uh, uh, uh yes? Uh, it's your landlady. May I come in? Well, I'm, uh, I'm afraid I'm just, uh, dressing at the moment. Oh, I am sorry. It was just that I didn't have a chance to meet you when you arrived last night. I hope my daughter saw you comfortably settled. Why, yes, uh, everything is most comfortable. I didn't mean to bother you, but... Anne said she had such a brief acquaintance with you that she had little chance to inform you about the habits of our little boarding house. Boarding house? I just wanted to let you know that we serve breakfast in the dining room on the main floor between 8 and 9. Oh, uh, what time is it now? Just a quarter till 8. I and the other guests will look forward to meeting you formally then. And forgive me if I've disturbed you. Not at all. You've been most helpful. Ask her her name. Not at all. See you later. Uh, uh Miss, uh, uh, Mrs. Uh... No, no, no. No, it, it's too late, Peg. She's gone. Okay. This is our chance. Our chance for what? To see what we can do about establishing our new identities. To find out if we can risk going down to breakfast and get away with being who we're supposed to be over 50 years before either of us were born. Let's, oh, with apologies to the real Mr. and Mrs. Downing, 
pour through their possessions and find out just who we're supposed to be. You look like Claudette Colbert or Joan Crawford in one of those old TV reruns of Hollywood movies. More like Vivian Leigh. <laughs> you mean Scarlett O'Hara. I can't make up my mind whether you look more like a dinner bell, a tea cozy, or a pin cushion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Laugh all you want. But it isn't funny. I mean, I have a wire cage on under this skirt and about eight petticoats. Oh, can you hook me up the back? Oh, sure. And I don't know what you're ashamed of. You look beautiful in a crinoline. I'm ashamed of someone else's clothes. Someone else's identities. And prying into other people's private, intimate business. That's what I'm ashamed of. These two tragic people. Guilty of nothing but loving each other and trying to expiate their sin with a suicide pact. It's another era, Peg. That was their solution. Was? Well, is, of course. These two tragic people of yours are us. I mean, we're living their lives. Maybe we better cut and run. I. Are you afraid? I'm afraid of everything about this whole mysterious, out-of-this-world adventure. But we're not going back till you make up your mind it's time to. I've forced myself on you... Made you let me come along. I, I'm not going to be a drag on you. Uh -huh. Aren't you finished hooking yet? I think. Mm, there must be like 50 of them. I wonder where they are. I, I mean the Downings. Oh, you mean Aza and Rebecca. Only her name isn't really Downing, remember. It's Mrs. Charlton Fryer. Poor Becky. Married to that horrible husband who won't let her go to marry Asa. Oh, my God. Do you suppose they've done it yet? Killed themselves? I don't see how. The pistols are here and still loaded. Then where are they? Well, if we're taking their place... Then they're in our century taking our place. Yes, yes, I guess that's the way it would work. Not necessarily, well, That but... wouldn't put Dad in any danger, would it? No, I don't see how it could. Not the way he had us strapped to the table. It means one thing, though... We can't stay here too long. Hmm? What do you mean? Until we go back. Dad can't go into the isolation booth. And the two of them would starve to death. Unless, as I said, they're already dead. I don't see how they can be. Or we would be, too. Are we going to risk it? Well, we look enough like them in the photos we saw. And remember, only the landlady's daughter has seen us briefly, and she's not here. Um... Yes? I thought maybe you didn't have a watch and wouldn't realize what time it is. Uh, well, just a moment. Uh, good morning. Oh, good morning. As a matter of fact, we, we don't have the time. Well, I certainly didn't mean to bedevil you, but it's near the end of breakfast, so... Oh, my. Aren't you the pretty little thing? Just as my daughter said you were. And such a handsome husband... <laughs> Newlyweds, I'd reckon. Well, I... Uh... Oh, don't mind me. Ah, come on along. I'll take you downstairs. Uh, will you be stopping with us long? Why, I... Uh... Uh, we really can't tell. Just long enough to find a... Well, our own place. <laughs> of course. I understand. Uh, 
You're not with the army, Mr. Downey? Uh, not now. Well, I, I can assure you, ma'am, these clothes feel very strange to me. Oh, so you must have been. Oh, well, we should let that be. It's no fit subject for discussion now. General Lee has surrendered and the war is over. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Here's the dining room. Uh, make yourselves comfortable. These seats be all right? Oh, just fine, thanks. Uh, what line of work are you in, Mr. Downey? Uh, my husband is a, a builder. Oh, that's right, fine. <laughs> we'll be needing a lot of you in the days and years to come, especially in the South. Or perhaps your sympathies don't lie in that direction. My sympathies are for the Union, madam, and by that I mean the whole country, North and South. <laughs> well, I'm sorry you won't be meeting any other boarders since it's late, but you'll meet the whole little family at dinner. Save for my son, John, who's away on business. Well, dinner's at noon. Now, anything else I can get you while breakfast's on the way? Oh, uh, why, yes. Uh, do you have a newspaper by any chance? Oh, there's a copy of the National Intelligencer right there on the sideboard. Oh, thank you, Mrs. <laughs> o- oh, I'm embarrassed, but n- not having met you in person last night, your name has escaped me. <laughs> well, Lord knows it's not that special. Anyone should remember it. I'm a widow lady named Mary Surratt. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll get your food. Surratt? Mac, get the paper. Sure. What... What date is it? Uh, let me see. Uh, April 13th, 1865. That makes today the 14th. But what... Oh, my God. April 14th. The day John Wilkes Booth assassinated President Lincoln at Ford's Theater. And we're in Mary Surratt's boarding house, the spot where the whole plot was hatched. If you or I had been in the position of knowing without a shadow of a doubt the dreadful thing that was to happen on this day, what would we have done? And how? That's the question that faces Peg Andrews and Steve McDonald, time travelers, who have it in their power to change history. I'll return shortly with Act Three. It was an uneasy, uncomfortable, and seemingly endless breakfast. If Mrs. Surratt noticed Peg and Mac's agitation, she no doubt would have put it down to the fact that she had decided they were newlyweds. Finally, after choking down as much as they could of the ham and eggs, hominy grits, and tea, they were able to break away. Why, you two little lovebirds only nibbled at your breakfast. I, I'm sorry, Mrs. Surratt. Oh, I understand, I'm not so old, I don't remember my wedding breakfast. <laughs> I was a mite nervous, too. <laughs> I wonder if you'd excuse me. I'd like to go back to our room. Oh, of course. I can quite understand your wanting to be alone. But I'll make sure you get called early enough to meet everyone and eat a good dinner at noon. Oh, I, uh, uh, perhaps you'd better not expect us for dinner today. No, uh, uh, visiting friends here in Washington? No, we uh, we just want to have a picture taken and take care of a few errands, like uh, going to the bank. Oh, Lord, don't you worry about that. I can see you're the kind to be trusted. 
But if you're having a picture taken, let me recommend Gardner's Studio. He takes all the honeymooners. And for the times, his prices are reasonable. Well, uh, we'll remember that. And uh, <laughs> now, if you'll excuse us, we have a few things to straighten out. What are we going to do, Mac? What can we do? We've got to try and stop it. How? Well, that's where you can help. Now, how much can you remember of the day of the assassination and the plot? Where people were, who was involved, you know, all of that. Let's forget that for the moment. We've something a lot more immediate to talk about. What? You remember what Dad told us before he sent us back in time? We can't interfere with anything or change anything. Because everything that had happened back where we were in 1975 depended on everything that had gone before it. So if we stop something major happening in 1865... No, no, major or minor, it would have to affect the time stream. That, that's what you mean? Yes. If President Lincoln hadn't been shot, our whole history would have been different. Which maybe wouldn't have been a bad idea. I can think of a lot of things we could have done without. Wars, depressions... Oh, there are a lot of things that were good, too. Like us, for example. You and me... If we try to change your time stream or whatever, we could never have met or even existed. But, Peg, we're together now. And there are other theories. Only if we could somehow stop Mr. Lincoln's death. We'd be signing our own death warrants. How? Well, you know what Rebecca wrote in her diary? The farewell note she left to her husband telling him of what she and Asa planned to do have her shoot him and then die by his hand. If we lock ourselves back here in time, we're signing our own death warrants. We don't know that for sure. It's a chance we're taking. To save Abraham Lincoln? Would you be willing to take it? Yes. As long as we're together. Okay. Then we're agreed. Now let's figure out how to do this. It isn't only Mr. Lincoln... It's Mr. Seward, too. Yes, the Secretary of State. But he didn't die, did he? No, he recovered. When Payne stabbed at him, although he was badly cut up, an iron brace around his neck and his jaw saved his life. Yes, yes. Uh, now, who, um, uh, what else? Well, a man named Asteroid, no, Asterod, I don't know. It, it was a German. I, I don't remember. He was supposed to kill the war secretary, Stanton. But he didn't have the nerve. Mm -hmm. There was another man named Gerald or Harold or, or something. But he got cold feet, too. He doesn't count. And, of course, Mrs. Surratt. But she really didn't have much to do with it, did she? They never really proved anything against her. Just that the conspirators had met at her house several times. <sighs> okay. There's only one thing to do. What? We're going to the White House and warn the president. Well, if this is Pennsylvania Avenue, that must be it, but it doesn't look like the White House. It wasn't even called that then. Oh, I mean now. It's called the president's house. What are we going to do? I'm going up to that sentry and try to get in. I'm coming with you. Hey. There might be some danger. Some danger? 
What else is this whole thing? All right, all right. Let's go. All right, lady, move along. Abe ain't seeing any more petitioners today. Hey, you. Where do you think you're going? I have business with the president. Yeah, you and what's left of the population. Forget it, mister. He's only one man, and anyways, he's tied up in state business. Now, move on, will you? Oh, please, officer. It's very important and... Personal. You can forget the flattery, ma'am. I'm just a plain foot soldier, Union Army. And I got no use for civilians today. Abe needs a rest from him. But this has to do with the president's well-being. Ain't no use of me letting you by anyways. You'd only be stopped inside. Now, listen to me. Supposing we were to tell you that we know there's a plot to assassinate the president. Sure, you'd be one of a hundred thousand nuts, sore heads, Johnny Rabs in disguise. So move on out before you tempt me to put a musket ball on you just in case you got any notions. Come on, Mac. Well, okay, okay, but but just one more question. One is all, brother. Which way is Ford's Theater? Now, there's a good notion. Save your imagination for there, huh? <laughs> you take Pennsylvania here to 10th, and then a couple of blocks north. What did you come here for? Just to locate the theater and... Wait a minute. You see that guy there? Which? The dark-haired, shortish guy on the other side of the street in the cavalry boots and spurs, walking towards the theater. Isn't that Booth? Morning, Mr. Ford. Mr. Booth? Give you a hand unloading your buggy? Why, no thanks. Uh, one of my actors will be right out to help. Do you really think you can drum up any business for that turkey, our American cousin, you are foolish enough to produce? I'll wager, sir, I'll outdo Gray's Theater tonight. Mr. Lincoln and General Grant are attending the performance. So? If it were my theater, I wouldn't give him standing room. But I promise you, it will be a night to remember. Oh, I'd give anything to know what they're talking about. I'd have given a lot more to have brought the Downing's pistols with me and put a couple of shots into Mr. Booth. You couldn't be a murderer, Mac. Oh, I know, I know. Anyway, it's... Uh... It's too late now. Now what? We'll try Mr. Seward's house and Mr. Stanton's. Anyone, anywhere who maybe stop long enough to listen to us. It's incredible, isn't it? Here we are with the knowledge to stop one of the greatest crimes in history and we can't get anyone to listen to us. Maybe that's the way it has to be? No, no, Peg. I, I, I just can't give up yet. If there was just some way to get to Booth... I don't it... see how. Well, there seems to be a lot of activity around this house tonight. Hmm? What? I don't know. Maybe there's a party now that supper's over. The front bell keeps jangling and people keep riding up. Wait a minute, wait a... You don't suppose... Look, the conspirators must have had a meeting once they knew Lincoln was going to actually be at the theater. Now, if they were going to... Well, where else? Look out the window, Peg. Easy, boy. Easy. By God, that's what it must be. That's the great John Wilkes Booth himself. you hear what they're saying? No, not really. Just enough to know they're planning something. I heard the name Payne, though. Well, then it's the plot, all right. He's the one who... Shh. I want you, baby, to hold the horses. And Asterod, you will kill the Secretary of War, Stanton. Payne, my trusted friend, 
I leave the Secretary of State to you. You will make sure of Seward. Lincoln, I shall shoot through the head, and General Grant shall be dispatched with the knife. Then down to the stage, and to rive the startled audience with the ringing phrase, Six Simper Tyrannus. And when I leave the stage for the last exit, I shall leave as the most famous man in America and across the world. Now, we must discuss the escape route by the Navy Bridge. What are we going to do? First things first. Now, come on. Get the pistols and let's get out of here. Why, Mr. and Mrs. Downing, what are you doing downstairs? I thought you were off to bed. Well, uh, we were just going to take a stroll, but it seems a little chill. Uh (laughs) Come, Rebecca, dear. Uh, Put on your wrap against the night air. Mary. Mary, what is it? An emergency, Wilkes. I must speak to you alone. What's wrong? My new boarders. They're Yankees. And I think they overheard the plot to assassinate the president. Where are we going, Matt? I noticed a little park on the way to the theater. Now, Booth will have to pass through there on the way. The others will have split by then. I'm going to ambush him. And? And nothing. Just keep him from getting to Ford's theater tonight. At least it'll save the president. Here's the park now. <gasps> what, Peg, what is it? Lover's Rest. That's where the Downings were going to commit suicide. Mac, look out! What, what is it? John Wilkes Booth. Get the alarm for Dad quick. Are you the Downings? Yes. Are you John Wilkes Booth? Forget that. I will not let you stop the march of history. Nor I you. Mac? Mac, we're back. We didn't get shot? Or kill each other in that suicide pact? If anyone got shot, it must have been Asa and Rebecca. Hello, Dad. Oh, honey. Oh, children. Oh. Now, now, what's all this about being shot? Are you all right? Well, a bit shook, sir, but I guess all here. What happened with you while we were gone? Well, sir, I had a couple of strange guests lying on the table strapped down. A girl in a crinoline dress? And a guy in a long-tailed jacket like they wore in the Civil War? Just about describes them. They lay like corpses. So that's all that happened to me. Now... What happened to you? We tried to stop Lincoln's assassination. You what? But I don't guess we succeeded. I mean, nothing's really changed, has it? No, I'm afraid not. President Abraham Lincoln did get assassinated by John Wilkes Booth on April 14th, 1865. The way we've always known. Well, of course, darling. Nothing could change that. After all, it's history. It's history, all right. But might it not have been? And if the tragic occurrence had never happened, how much better or worse might our country or the world have been? We'll never know, of course. And there's the fascination of life leaving just a few loose ends in our story, which I'll be back to gather up 
very shortly. One final footnote. It is fascinating that in one of the Washington papers of December 15, 1865, black bannered headlined with the assassination reports, buried in the back pages was a small note that the bodies of Asa Downing and Rebecca Fryer had been discovered in what appeared to be a suicide pact. The item might never have made the paper except for the coincidence that the death tryst was so near the now famous Ford's Theater. Our cast included Jennifer Harmon, William Redfield, Ian Martin, Bryna Rayburn, and Gordon Gould. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. Thank you.